We are so glad that you've joined us today at North Point to be encouraged and uh, to find hope in Jesus. We're, we continue today in our Woke series. We're, today we're taking a look at uh, an interesting topic, finding Jesus in the middle of the threat of death, which seems pretty appropriate at this time in the middle of the pandemic. Um, it's going to be great. We're going to get there in just a second. Here's what I'd like for you to do to start, if you would, today. If you if you would send us a message either through the North Point app, go to the Let's Connect tab, and let us know that you're watching today online, that would be so great. And if God's doing something in your life, if you've made a decision to follow Him maybe in, in a fresh way, if you would let us know that on the tab, uh, on the Let's Connect tab as well, that would be great. If you don't have the North Point app, um, if you'd like to download it, you can do that. Send a text to 94090 uh, with the message app, A-P-P, uh, N-C-C on it. Uh, app NCC, and that will give you a, a quick ability to, to download the app, make sure that you have the right one. If you uh, don't have the app and would still let us know that you're that you're with us right now, that would be outstanding. You can do that by sending that a text to that same number, 94090, with the message uh, guest NCC, guest NCC, and that would be great. Um, there are some cool things going on right now that, that uh, we're really excited about what God's doing. One is uh, what we're calling Giving Tables. It's a chance for us to partner with Redeemer Methodist Church here in DeWitt, who just does a tremendous job with their, uh, with their food pantry. They have a lot of other partnerships that help provide the food for that. The church provides the food for that. But a lot of the people who are in crisis right now who have special needs, they need other things besides food. They need paper towels and toilet paper and household goods, cleaners, those kind of things. If you'd like to help and just get a little bit extra when you go to the, to the grocery and then bring them by the church office or bring them by on a Sunday and, and put them on the tables, we'll see that they get to Redeemer and that they can be distributed through Redeemer's team, which is, again, they just do great, great work. We would love to have you be a, a part of that. Hey, uh, a little bit later in the service, we're going to celebrate communion today. And I want to encourage you, if you've got a, a chance to just pause this video right now, make sure that you have some, maybe some juice and some crackers. Uh, you can use water, you can use whatever you'd like, but to help you remember the price that Jesus paid for our salvation to, to have a right relationship with him. We're going to do that after the message, and uh, we would love to have you join us for that. Um, before we get to the message uh, today, uh, I want to invite you and encourage you to give financially back to God. It's an important thing for us to do that as an act of worship. God has blessed us with so much and we need to be good stewards of what he's given us. So one of the ways that we can do that is by giving through a local church, by giving through North Point. We would love to have you do that. You can, you can do that by sending a check to the church or send cash to the church. You can drop it by the church office. Or if you'd like to give electronically, that's probably the easiest way to do it. You can uh, send a text to 77977, 77977, uh, with the message um, NCC Give, NCC Give, and uh, that will we'll send you a link. You, you'll be able to do that really quickly. Again, if you use the North Point app, there's an option there that you can give through the app as well, and that would be great. Hey, today today's message uh, is brought to you by Chris Carter, our Minister of Connections. He's great, and he's again, he's going to be talking about helping us find Jesus in the midst of death. Let's go to Chris. 
Good morning, North Point. Are we good? Are we doing good? It's fall. It's cold. There's football. I don't know. Whatever gets you going, right? I don't know. Uh, uh, it's, I was standing back there thinking, and, uh, and I don't know if you heard the lightning. Uh, I guess you can't hear lightning, can you? That's an impossibility. It's called thunder. Is that what we call it now? You, cra- you crazy millennials. Uh, if you look in the back, it's even funnier. Um, so... So you heard the thunder, and I'm just, I don't know, there's something about this weather that's kind of cool. Hey, um, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm, I'm glad uh, I get to uh, share a thought this morning. We're, we're in a series that we've uh, been calling Hashtag Woke, and it's really this idea of raising our awareness to what Jesus is already doing uh, in and around and through us. It's not that Jesus isn't doing anything. If you think, well, Jesus just isn't doing anything around me or, or in me, um, that's not true. I'll just, I'll, I'll go to, I'll go to toes to toes with you on that. Like, it's not true. Jesus is doing stuff, but sometimes we just miss it. We get distracted by lesser things. We, we get our focus kind of uh, a little off kilter. And so we just miss the things that are, that, that Jesus is doing. And so, um, so we, uh, this series is really about that idea of raising our awareness to what Jesus is doing. Uh, t- today we're coming to the end of these talks, and, and today we're, uh, we're we're in that series. And uh, normally, when I start a talk, I-, I like to tell a really compelling story, or like something funny, or just something that like like gets us thinking together. Because I recognize that I've been thinking about these things for a few days, and and you've just put on pants and tried to get here, and you know maybe your brain's in different spaces. I I, I get that, and so, but I don't I don't have a great story. I, I sometimes I use a sight gag. I thought about coming out in my funeral suit this morning. Uh, it's also my wedding suit, in case you care. Um, but I, I thought about that for 30 seconds and thought, ah, that's going to be way too hot. So uh, all I'm going to say is this by way of intro. I want to talk about death this morning. I know. I understand completely. I would be thinking the same, like, oh, I put pants on for this. Yeah. And if you leave now, I'll be hurt and I'll cry. I'll go back and cry in the hallway. So there's no, like, socially acceptable way to leave. Don't try it. You can't. I want to talk about death uh, this morning, uh, um, and and I want to try to make the case that we see Jesus working even in death, or maybe especially in death, um, especially and even in those those difficult deaths, you know, when, when the person was very young or when it was very unexpected, they weren't sick or anything, and death comes like I want to talk about I want to make a case for maybe we'll agree at the end of this that Jesus is working even in or especially in those deaths uh, I've done enough funerals I do a ton of grief counseling and I've, and I've experienced all of those uh, scenarios and when folks may be new to, to pastoral ministry they'll ask like what do you say at funerals especially those more difficult funerals like what do you say at those and there's three things that I always say at, at, at any funeral but especially those funerals because I think it's the most important stuff that we can communicate in, um, in sometimes the worst moment of a person's uh, life, a family's life, a friend's life. And I'll, I'll tell you what those are in a minute, but, but to get us thinking together, I just, I just want to talk about the concept of death, just so we're thinking. Uh, the reality is that uh, we don't want to do it, uh, we don't want to talk about it, and right now, some of you are very uncomfortable because I continually use the word death and I'm forcing us to think about it this morning. We are not comfortable, typically, with death. That reaction is actually normal. 
it, because death isn't normal. Like when, when God created everything, Adam and Eve in the garden, our plan, like his plan was for us to live with him in that environment forever. Death was not part of the picture. Death came because Adam and Eve made a choice that they shouldn't have made, and now death is a reality that we all experience. And yet at the same time, we, we always feel like death is wrong, Because it is. Death is foreign to us. It's just not supposed to be part of the picture. We're we're so uncomfortable with the concept of death that we've come up with tons of different ways to say death or talk about death without actually using the word death. For example, we use phrases like asleep in God or beamed up. Apparently that's just for Trekkies. Or bought the farm, breathed his last, called home, cashed in, maybe for gamblers, I don't know, checked out, Croaked, crossed over, departed, expired. That's got to be like the worst one. But found everlasting peace, peace, gave up the ghost, gone to a better place, gone to glory, gone to his reward, gone to his maker, handed in his chips. Apparently gamblers spend a lot of time thinking about death. Headed for the last roundup, which is for cowboys, uh, heard the final call, joined the heavenly choir, kicked the bucket, which I still don't know how that, laid to rest, launched into eternity, passed away, remaindered, which is popular with publishing types, rests in peace, taking the westbound, again, I think popular with hobos, uh, transitioned, and with the angels. Uh, Americans spend a ton of cash to try and ensure at all costs that they can avoid death. Just health care alone in 2017, $3.5 trillion was spent by Americans. That equals out to about $10,739 per person. You do the math on how much of your income that is. Just on health care, not all the other myriad of things that we do to stay alive at all costs. Over the last 150 years, we've nearly doubled our lifespan in an effort to not die with some pretty cool inventions. For example, cotton. Cotton, which is easier to clean so you can get out the body lice so you don't die from that. That almost took out Napoleon's army. Satellites. So they can track things like hurricanes and and give early warnings. Window screens that keep out flies and mosquitoes that carry all kinds of illnesses that often cause death. Bots dots. Do you know what these are? These little reflective dots that are on the lane markers on on roads and highways so that you can see your lane in bad weather and stop flying off the road? Bots dots. Air conditioning. Air conditioning has cut the death rate on hot days by 80%. Pasteurization stopped the spread of milk-based typhoid fever, scarlet fever, diphtheria, tuberculosis, and other diseases, especially in kids. And shoes which stops hookworm from entering our bare feet and killing us. We've got tons of, tons of cool inventions to, 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 to avoid death. And here's the funny thing, is that even in all of that, uh, you're still going to die. I don't want to ruin the end here. We're all going to die. Maybe we could put it off, maybe not. Maybe we can avoid it for a little while, maybe not. But, but we are all going to die, which brings me to what I want to talk about today. There's this interesting event in the Bible where Jesus comes face to face with death, and we get to see, I think in an incredibly unique way, his reaction to death, his, his kind of his view maybe on death, and shows us, I think, how much Jesus is working even in death. 
Now, the story for, for, for some of you that have been around church for a long time, you've probably heard this story, and when I say the name Lazarus, you already jump to the end, and I'm going to beg you, please don't do that. In fact, we're not even going to end in the end. <laughs> we're going to end in the middle of that because Jesus' interaction is really super, incredibly interesting. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, it's in the app. If you have the North Point app, this is a good time to open that up. If you don't have any of that, the verses will be on the screen. But I think you're going to want an app or a Bible or something to write on because, I don't know, there's just some really, really interesting stuff in here. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we've got to pause there. I know that seems like just a simple preamble, but we cannot miss the picture that the author who, who saw this event go down wants us to clearly understand that Jesus loved Lazarus. This, this is a huge deal. That maybe that statement's not a big deal to you, but it is a huge deal. Jesus loved Lazarus so much that the author wanted us to know that piece of information. Lazarus is sick, and Jesus loves Lazarus. And the, and the, and the sisters send word to Jesus that his friend, the one he loves, Lazarus, is, is sick. So we drop to verse 4. It says, when, when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Did you catch that? Like, like we're told again, clearly, so we don't miss it, that Jesus loved this family, Mary, Martha, sisters, and their brother, Lazarus. He loved these kids. Like, he just loved them. And so when he finds out that Lazarus is sick, what does he do? Stays where he is two more days. That's weird, right? Like, it should be written, it should end, it should say something like, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran off so he could heal him, right? Isn't that the Jesus we know? Or maybe he at least would have said, when, they found out, when he found out that Lazarus was sick, he ran off to comfort the sisters because he knew it might end in death. But it doesn't. Jesus hears and Jesus waits. Now, I'm just shooting straight with you, not as a pastor, just as a person. That, that frustrates me. It kind of bugs me a little bit, like in my soul. Like that just seems so wrong. And yet, that's what happens. And again, it's a challenge if, if we know the story because we know what Jesus is going to do at the end of the story. And so we're already thinking there. And so this doesn't become a big deal for us, but it has to be a big deal because if, if you don't know the end of the story, and if, if you're here this morning, you don't know the end of the story, I'm jealous of you because you're experiencing this in a fresh way that some of us will struggle to do. But if you could imagine for a minute, to put out of your mind if you know what's going to happen. In this moment, he gets word that his friend is sick and he loves them and he does nothing. And our natural thought is, Jesus is a jerk. Or something along those lines. Or he could have helped, but he doesn't. Or he could at least show up and demonstrates that he cares but he doesn't yet. Drop down to verse uh, 11. It says this. It says, after he had heard uh, this, um, he went on to tell them, our, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, 
but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, uh, it's good, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but, but let's go to him. There's this, this, this moment with a, com, a, a confusing euphemism. Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, oh, good, he'll rest and get better. And he, I just think sometimes Jesus shakes his head at his guys, you know, or me. <laughs> like, Chris, what do you... And then he's very clear with them, very plain, no euphemism. He says, he died, and I'm glad I wasn't there. Wow, that's harsh, right? And I, and I, and I, guess I just picture in the disciples hearing that, thinking, uh, Jesus is having a bad day <laughs> or something. I'm glad I wasn't there because there's something better coming. Down in verse 17, they, they, they go and they, they show up, and it says, on his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus shows up, Martha meets him, and, and, and she, he's not greeted with like a hug, or like, oh, it's so good to see you, or oh, can I get you something, or oh, you need to sit down, or oh, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, just makes this. She shows right up to him and says, where were you? Where were you? If you'd have been here, he, he wouldn't have died. And I think that's like the worst welcome on the planet, right? And, and, and I think maybe this is one of the reasons that Jesus loved these guys so much because there's just this depth of authenticity in their relationship that Martha doesn't feel any pressure to not say what she's feeling. This is a huge challenge, Christ followers who have been part of a church for a long time maybe, is that we often struggle to shoot straight with Jesus, which is super silly because he already knows what we're thinking, but we pray these prayers that have words that sound right out loud, but we, 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 we struggle, maybe I'm alone in this, to pray the prayers that are deep in here. And yet Martha has no problem with that. She's like, where were you? And Jesus loves Mary, and he loves Martha, and he loves Lazarus. We get down to verse 22. Martha says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I'm life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. But even now I know, says Martha, even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. There's this faith that she has in Jesus to work all things, not understanding why he didn't show up, feeling this sense of frustration, maybe, that he seems to have shown up late. She has this confusion over rising. Jesus says he'll rise again. She thinks it's a theological concept. Like, yes, I know one day we'll all rise, Jesus. It's not helpful right now. But, 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 but he says, no, I'm resurrection. Jesus says, I'm what I'm talking about. Not one day, not tomorrow, like I'm life. Uh, Jesus is the author and finisher of life. Belief in Jesus renders death irrelevant. Do you hear that? Belief in Jesus renders death irrelevant. It really isn't important anymore. We, we jump down to verse 32. This is the sister. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, not Martha, but Mary, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Almost as if maybe those two sisters had been having that conversation during that week. 
Like maybe they were sitting at the house and, and, and Lazarus died and however long it takes to prepare a body back in the day and then they put him in the tomb and it's been four days and Jesus still hasn't shown up and Martha's like, I sent him a note, Mary. I don't know what happened. I know he got it. Peter said he got it. Well, maybe I should have sent it because you know I'm his favorite. I don't know what's going on with you. He doesn't ever listen to you. You know he listens to me all the time. I don't know why he didn't show up. Maybe he's sick too. I can't know what he, that guy's thinking. I don't care what that guy's thinking. If he would have been here, it wouldn't have. Maybe they were having that conversation for the week. Have you ever had that conversation? You, you know, that conversation that maybe sounds like one word? Why? Jesus, why? Or, or maybe, Jesus, that's not fair. Or maybe it sounds like, Jesus, if, it, Jesus, if you only cared, Jesus, if you only heard, Jesus, if you only did, Jesus, if you only would have, Jesus, why didn't? Have you ever had that conversation? Maybe not with another person, but with yourself? Have you ever been uh, authentic enough to have it like Martha did? <laughs> to have it with Jesus? We get to verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? It says that Jesus was deeply moved. I, I, every time I've read this story, and I've always heard that this is all about Jesus feeling sadness, like he felt sad. Um, you know, Lazarus died and he felt sad. And I, and I, and I don't know because the, the, the phrase deeply moved, when you, when you look it up, the ESV has a footnote, the Greek best literal translation is the word indignant. Indignant. The message version of the Bible uh, translates that to anger. Jesus felt deeply moved. He felt indignation. He felt anger. That's different than sad, isn't it? And then it goes on to say that Jesus wept. And I've always wondered, like, if he was feeling these deep emotions, whatever they, they might have been, why? Why? Because, like, he knew what he was going to do in the next moment. And I don't want to ruin the end for you because we're, we're stopping the reading here. You should finish reading this at some point. This is some great stuff at the end. But, like, spoiler alert, like, he's going to call Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus is going to walk out of the tomb uh, alive. And the King James Version, we love that version because the sisters are like, oh, he stinketh because he was in there for four days. That's funny, right? But, but this is going to happen. But, but in this moment, if Jesus knows what he's going to do a minute later, why is he feeling such deep emotion, indignation or anger this frustration, a sense of sadness. Why does he cry? Why does he, does he churn at death? And maybe if I can suggest, and I don't know that I'm right, this is just my thinking, but is it possible that it's he hurts when we hurt? Like he saw Mary and Martha, and he saw the family and friends, and he had these deep emotions because he hurts when we hurt. He knows what he's going to do in a minute. So he knows the end of the story. And yet he still feels because he hurts when we hurt. I know that when, when pastors preach this section, we love to go on to the next part because there's some fun in that, the end of the story. And it's an amazing, amazing event. Amazing stuff happens, and I, and I definitely want you to read it. It had to be the weirdest day on the planet for everyone who was there. I mean, the disciples went from wondering why Jesus, uh, who didn't seem to care, goes to this whole amazing event. Uh, Mary and Martha went from despair and dejection to elation. Jesus is feeling these deep feelings of empathy for his friends, um, especially weird day for Lazarus, like dude was dead, 
And he was like, Abraham's bosom or heaven or wherever he was. And then like the next minute, he was like uh, paging Lazarus to the office. And like all of a sudden, he's back and he's wrapped up. And he's like, whoa. Like that had to, everybody. It was weird. Could you imagine Thanksgiving like a year later with this family? I, I know there's no Thanksgiving. Just go with me on this. Like could you imagine showing up to Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house? And, and I'm, I imagine they tell the story all the time. Like, hey, did you hear what happened last year at this time? It was so weird. Like, I would tell that story. And, like, like if you were sitting next to Lazarus at, the, at, that, t- at that table, do you, like, do you just keep looking at him and you're like, so, so how are you feeling today? <laughs> you know? For some of you guys that have read a lot of those books, you're like, did, did you see a light? And was there, like, I don't know how to Like, what? I don't know how much longer Lazarus lives after this, if it's months or years or decades or whatever, but I just think, what a strange, like, did they turn his house into, like, a, a tourist attraction? You, you pay a couple shekels to show up and like wave to Lazarus and Martha's like, this is dumb. Why are we? I don't know, but I, what a weird day for everybody involved. But to me, the most interesting thing in this entire event is Jesus's response to Lazarus's death. The most telling thing that we pull from this is the fact that Jesus allowed it. He allowed it. He pauses and waits before showing up. Jesus could have showed up before Lazarus died to be part of that death experience if that needed to be or to stop or whatever, but he waits extra days so that, so that everybody is absolutely sure that Lazarus is dead, like no hope, end of story, not just mostly dead, but like all dead, right? This demonstrates the reality that Jesus is working even when we have zero control over a situation, especially when we have zero control over a situation, Jesus had bigger and better plans for Lazarus than just staying alive. This is weird, too, because, like, you know Lazarus dies later. Like, he's not still alive. I don't think he's still alive. I've never heard that he's still alive. That'd be like a couple thousand years ago. That'd be weird. But, but he dies again. It's just, Why? What a strange scenario. Uh, uh, sometimes we forget to notice Jesus working, that he has better plans in that moment, especially when we have no control. I want to bring this story home kind of to us right here, right now, because that's the Bible, and we read that story, and we're like, oh, that's nice, and it is nice, but, but I want us to, I just, I want to, I want to drive it deep if I can, especially in this post-pandemic world that we're, we're living in. We're, we're living in a time where many are afraid of death. Like, at the very least, the media culture tells us like a hundred times a day the things that we're supposed to be afraid of, and it constantly reminds us how we're supposed to be terrified of death. Hundreds of reminders every day. But, but as a Christ follower, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we don't have to fear death. It's not a piece of the Christian makeup. See, death is not the end. It's the culmination of a journey. Uh, let me suggest something in, a, in an incredibly clear but potentially offensive way, and I don't mean to be offensive. I just want to be really clear if... If your response to COVID-19, or anything really, but if your response to COVID-19 is to do anything and everything to stay away from death, if, if you've developed an absolute terror of dying, if, if you've shuttered yourself away from being salt and light in an incredibly dark time, I just want to humbly suggest that you've got some work to do on your soul. Like some recalibration is needed. See, if you know where you're going to go when you die, then what is there to be afraid of? If you know the end of the story, we have nothing to fear. But if fear of death is your motivator, then I'm going to suggest maybe you're not so sure on where you're going to go. 
Maybe that's not so clear for you. Now, hear, hear me clear on this. Like, if you've tuned out, pick up for 30 seconds. Like, hear me clear on this. It doesn't mean that we live stupid. We still wear seatbelts, and, and, we, and we look both ways before crossing the street, and we go to the doctors, and we exercise, we wash our hands, we wear masks, we do all the things, but we don't fear dying because Jesus works even in death, maybe especially in death. It's interesting because Jesus asks this rhetorical question. It's recorded in the book of, of Matthew. He says, who can add a single minute to their life by worrying about it? It's rhetorical because the answer is no one. Lazarus died, and then he died again. <laughs> he couldn't add anything to his life. We can't add in a single minute to our life because Jesus is the author and the finisher of life. His point is you can't add anything to it. So I started this talk, and I, and I threw out the question, what do I say at funerals, especially those difficult ones when they're young or when it's unexpected and those types of things. And there's three things that I always communicate at every funeral because I think, I think it's the most hopeful thing and because it's true. Uh, three things that I try and communicate, especially in more difficult funerals. One of those is that God never intended for it to be this way. It wasn't part of his original plan. That's why we react so strongly to death. That's why it feels so foreign to us because it wasn't part of God's original plan. The second thing that I say in funerals is that God hurts, Jesus hurts when we hurt. And so even though it was part of his design for that person to, to die, he hurts because we hurt. And the third thing that I say at funerals is that it, one day it will all be made right whether it's in that moment for that person who, who dies and goes off to glory with Jesus or uh, if we live long enough for him to return and, and take us with him and death is no longer part of the picture. Either way, death is no longer part of the picture. One day, it will all be made right. The Bible writer sums it up well when he says this. He says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He goes on to talk about how for, for him it'd be better to die and go off and be with Jesus, but for the people that he's working with, it's better if he hangs out for a while so he knows that God's plan is for him to hang out a little longer. And that's the right attitude. Uh, there's this picture. It's powerful to me. It hangs in my office right above my desk, and I think it sums up perfectly this entire concept of no fear in death, that Jesus is working even in death. It's called First Day in Heaven. And it's that idea of that first moment when you transition from, when I transition, when we transition from this life, this experience here, into the next, for us who know Jesus. It's that first moment. If you can see that girl's face, there's something powerful in that. No fear of death. Because Jesus is working even in death. I, I want to uh, transition us, and it makes sense to finish our service with communion. So I just want to help us transition to a time of communion. I'll invite one of our elders, Jeff Kimmy, to come on up and, and lead us through that. If you can uh, take out your communion elements and uh, peel back, take your wafer out. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
in the same way he also took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you. We thank you for making provision for us, for sending your son, for his body broken for us, for his blood to wash away our sins. Thank you. See you.
with you this morning. Go have a great week and let the battle belong to God. We'll see you next Sunday.